Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Smaller businesses share many, if not all, of the security challenges faced by enterprises. But all too often, they lack the resources to deal with them. In fact, there's growing evidence that criminal groups are attacking smaller businesses, both as targets in their own right and as a way to infiltrate the supply chains of their larger customers. And this is a trend that accelerated during the pandemic, with SMAs forced to move quickly towards remote working. What, though, can smaller companies do to improve their security? One route is through better use of the security tools they already have, for example in Microsoft 365. Another is to set out clear policies. Both need to be backed by relevant training and awareness. Our guest this week is Lee Rawl, founder at Everything Tech, an IT services firm based in Manchester. This is an area he finds that his clients are increasingly focused on, and he joins us now. We're a sort of medium-sized managed service provider based in central Manchester. Um, we've got clients all over the country, um, and uh, for 12 years we, we've uh, helped SMEs get the best out of technology and, and sort of allow them, the owners of those businesses to sleep at night knowing that we've got their security covered. Absolutely. Now, a lot of the attention around cybersecurity is rightly focused on critical national infrastructure, the enterprise, governments and so on. So do you think that perhaps SMEs are overlooked in this area? Yeah, I think um, actually, I think to be fair, the the government have worked pretty hard over the last couple of years to try and uh, increase awareness of of IT security for SMEs. I mean, it's difficult for me to say because I'm perhaps very close to the subject, Um, but but I think that there has been a lot of awareness uh, from, from both public and private sector aimed at small business owners to try and get them to improve over the last couple of years. And I sort of feel like it's been working to an extent. Well, that's good to hear. But what would you say then are the biggest challenges facing smaller organisations? I think people are the biggest challenge. Um, For me, education is the most important thing in small business security for, for two reasons. Um, one is it's, it's cost effective. You know, you don't have to spend an awful lot of money to be able to protect your employees. Um, and, and two, cause it's easy to implement. Um, you know, you don't, you don't have to have some enterprise grade uh, infrastructure just to, just to be able to teach people the difference between a real email and a phishing email for example. Absolutely. So we'll come back to that question of security awareness in a moment. But how has the security landscape changed and how how do you see it as having changed over, say, the past two years when we've had, you know, lockdown and we've had this requirement for people to work remotely? And has that impacted the type of clients that you work with? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's impacted the type of clients that we work with. Um, you know, broadly, our customer base is sort of SMEs from uh, 30 to 500 people. Um, so it's not it's not affected our customer base, but it's definitely affected our customers and the way they work. So a good example of that might be um, that, that, that typically in an accounts department, you might have five or six people that sit together on a daily basis. Uh, and when somebody receives an email, 
they, they may have in the past ran it past their colleagues to sort of say, what do you think of this? You know, uh, th- that kind of thing, just a, a, a quick remark, which could have saved them from the, you know, the, could, could mean the difference between them being attacked or not. Whereas now they're at home, they're a lot more insular and uh, and they're sort of having to think for themselves and make decisions for themselves, whereas they, they might have been able to, to get some advice. So it's taking people out of that environment where they can turn to peers or ask somebody else in the business yeah, just to just to have a second pair of eyes on something as simple as that. Yeah, I think I think that's a big a big part of it. Yeah, and also I think people uh, are actually less confident when they're in a, a sort of insulated environment. So so if they're at home in, in a little study or sat at their kitchen table, for example, um, they, they might tend to make rash decisions, you know, and uh, about about clicking a link that they may not have made if they was in the office. You know, uh, I think that's a big problem as well. What about on the structural side? Because again, at the enterprise level, we've heard a lot about organizations opening up their back office applications to remote access, moving large scale to e-commerce, replacing VPNs with other forms of remote working. Uh, what are we seeing in the smaller business side? Are they following those same trends? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think I think it's fair to say that, that mo- if you ask most technical people, they would consider a VPN to be a cumbersome technology. Um, it's, a, it's a low speed connection, it, it, you know, in theory. Um, and I think, I think that the, the preference for that would be to use some kind of cloud-based infrastructure uh, where users can access the application inside a browser um, and use multi-factor authentication. That's a far nicer, cleaner solution than, than having to VPN and use an on-premise application. So does that then change, though, the security questions that they need to ask? It, it does, yeah, because unfortunately, um, it's, a lot of these applications don't allow for multi-factor. And so what you've got is a user using a, a potentially a, a bring-your-own-device computer sat at home, um, no multi-factor authentication, probably using the same password that they use for multiple other systems. Um, and I think that, that obviously creates a risk. Sure. So then... Before we get into how you mitigate that risk, because I'm I'm sure there's advice that you can share and there are tools and techniques out there that people can use. But before we get into that, do you think these changes in working practices are going to be lasting? I know there's been quite a lot of controversy about whether people should return to the office and how quickly and what quantity should that be full time, part time, some form of blended working. But when you're talking to your customers, what are you actually hearing from them and how does that affect the technology that they use? Yeah, I think I think probably with very few exceptions, people are uh, accepting that that re- remote working or hybrid working, whichever phrase you want to use, is here to stay definitely, and and certainly in our customer base, uh, I, I think when the pandemic started and people wholesale shipped off to work from home, uh, IT departments, managed service providers we had a job to do and it was to to enable the workforce to adapt uh, to, to working from home quickly. And I think what's happening now is, certainly from our perspective, is we're revisiting those decisions, and we have been for quite some time now, uh, and trying to implement the correct change as opposed to the rushed change. Yeah, that makes sense. So where are they on that journey? Going back to some of the episodes that we did 
during the early stage of the pandemic, we were talking quite a lot about people putting in temporary systems, about people having to patch and update and you know upgrade VPN capacity, quickly move things to the web. But there was an acceptance of bring your own device. There was an acceptance of using consumer-facing or consumer-focused cloud services. But have we seen IT departments or indeed, you know, the business directors in the case of smaller companies now look at that or sit down with people such as yourselves and look at that and say, actually, some of this worked really well, but it raises security and privacy issues. Other things maybe didn't work so well at a technical level, and we need to look at a more business grade replacement for them. Yeah, I think so. I think so. so a couple of things, a couple of good examples of things that are happening. Um, so on a re- on a really small business scale, um, there's an, there's a certain accounts application that that people use or has been popular over the past 10, 15 years, uh, and it, and it's probably an on-premise application. Um, and so a, a good example of uh, the change that small businesses are making is they're moving that accounts application into a, a more cloud-friendly or a, a cloud-based application. So I, I won't mention the name of the application, but I think that everyone listening to this will know the one that we're talking about. Um, so, so that's a good example of, of how change is happening. They're sort of realizing that actually that application is preventing us from being in the cloud and, and working um, more efficiently. And, and more effectively. And so we're going to go and change that. We're going to change for something that suits us better. Um, and and another, another thing that we, we're seeing an awful lot, um, a lot of what we do is helping people move to the cloud wholesale, even if they've got on-premise applications, for example, um, it, it is using as your virtual desktop. Um, so, so basically lifting and shifting their entire on-premise suite of servers and technologies and moving that into the cloud uh, using as your virtual desktop, which sort of means that the, the local device, the, the, the device that people sit in front of, laptop, desktop, that kind of thing, is largely irrelevant. You know, you could almost go out to a, the local PC shop buy a, a computer, bring it home and access as your, uh, and, and, and the security on the local device doesn't really matter because everything's being done in the cloud. And then that's giving more momentum or impetus to the move to the cloud that was certainly happening before lockdown. But again, you see this as a permanent transition. It's not something that people are then going to roll back and say, actually, I prefer to have lots of servers in my basement. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I don't see. I mean, I think there's there's much less appetite from uh, IT people and IT providers to do that because, uh, you know, th- th- those days are gone where even sort of, uh, more more old-fashioned IT people uh, are coming round to the fact that the cloud is the future for the small business, and um, I think there's very little appetite to 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 have things on premise these days. And we've certainly seen a lot of uptake, particularly around Microsoft technologies or Microsoft and Google technologies. But uh, you're you're a partner with Microsoft, and you're involved in what they positioning as the Microsoft Modern Workplace, which essentially is Office 365 as as it used to be uh, with a number of other features and uh, utilities attached to it. And one of the things that Microsoft is positioning within that is actually security. So how does that work? Is that something that customers are buying into? Do they see that as a single solution? And are the particular security considerations you need to make sure that that is configured correctly? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. Definitely, it's something that we're seeing across our customer base is um, uh, small business owners are taking IT security far more seriously than they ever have done before. Um, you know, there, there are people that, that think it won't happen to them still, for sure. But but a lot of people that we speak to, the vast majority uh, are switching on to the fact that IT security is important. And when we talk to them about upgrading their Office 365 to business premium to, 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 to get all of the security features therein, they're, they're receptive to that, for sure. You know, when we talk to them about you know, upgrading to business premium in order to get disk encryption, for example. Um, uh, and uh, that, that's something that they're extremely, you know, if you sort of say to a small business owner, look, if somebody leaves their laptop on a train or on a bus, then it'll take your average IT guy less than 10 minutes to break in and get that data unless it's encrypted. You know, and if, if you sort of keep it simple for people, uh, you know, they're not stupid small business owners. Obviously, if, if, you, if you keep it simple for them and just explain the benefits, that they're, they're happy to, uh, to, 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 to pay that extra few pounds a month per user. And the incremental cost for some of these features is actually fairly small, as you say, but is actually the driver more the convenience that it's all in one place and actually that idea that you're providing greater security to everybody within the organization rather than, say, you, you could lock down a laptop's drive, but you're probably not going to get that onto everybody's device straight away unless you go for something uh, in the cloud or as a software as a service. Yes, yeah, so I think it's, it's uh, obviously the, the beauty of of M365 is that if you're licensing the Office application, you're also licensing all of those security products. Um, and and you know when when you configure a laptop, so when we send laptops out, for example, they've got something called Autopilot, so you can ship a laptop from the distributor. It lands on somebody's desk, you know, anywhere in the world and they log in and all of those security controls are all immediately in place on that piece of kit. Um, so so uh, I think keeping it all together and in one place, uh, the, 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 we've long been a fan of keeping everything in the Microsoft world and try and get as much out of that product as possible. Yeah, because once you're invested in that platform, then it makes sense to use all the features it provides. Yeah, Absolutely. So extending then that out to how you set up your your estate, your, your SaaS estate, are there particular considerations around data protection, privacy and security that you know, directors of organizations need to be aware of? Yeah, I think um, there's, there needs to be uh, an understanding of what shadow IT is. So, so, I mean, it sounds a really complicated enterprise term, shadow IT, but it's basically where users go off and decide to use a SaaS application, for example, um, uh, w without involving the IT departments. So, so they think, well, I can go to this website, I can pay £3 a month, and I can buy a CRM system that suits me. Um, uh, and then what, what what that what happens there is that you end up with lots of people going out choosing different SaaS applications, and this is where you know small businesses really need to get a good IT manager or a good IT provider involved because we need to consider all the effects on the, of those technologies on the whole of the business. You know, um, okay, so so if we buy this CRM application, how does it? interact with our ERP solution? Um, you know, what are we doing about our invoicing? Can we find something that, that, that 
suits our entire business as opposed to picking something piecemeal. And I think, especially in businesses of sort of 50 to 150 people, that's a big problem because you get a HR department running off and uh, choosing to buy an online HR application without involving the IT team. And and that that presents security concerns and and, uh, concerns around choosing the right software that meets the needs of all aspects of the business. So I think that that's a problem at the moment is that it, it's easy to go and get an application off the internet that, that, that sort of suits the needs of an individual or a small team, but there needs to be some strategy around it. And there's a waste of resources and potentially cost in that. But then there's also the security holes that you create when you have multiple applications. So a parallel to that, and again, going back to what people are doing during lockdown, is using consumer-based file sharing services, uh, storing information. Oh, I'm going to back this hard drive up because... I'm not going into the office where that would normally be done. So I'll use an external USB drive or something of that nature. And those things, unless you manage it well, presumably fall outside your IT compliance systems. Is, Is that something you can deal with with the type of tools that you have? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Microsoft Intune can uh, do things like even simple things like uh, preventing the use of USB drives or um, uh, Office 365 has got some really good inbuilt um, data protection technology. So you can say, uh, we don't allow these people to email this type of spreadsheet outside of the organization, for example. Um, we don't allow people to install these applications on their computer. And uh, the mobile device Management feature says, you know, we don't we don't allow users to install the Dropbox app or uh, any number of sort of cloud-based file sharing applications that you just alluded to. So the granularity is there, but the question is then understanding what you need to do, isn't it? Which measures you need to take? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and, and that's you know, it needs to be consultative. Yes, but you can't just impose it from the top down because otherwise you won't get the buy-in and support for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that then raises the question of security awareness, which is one of the reasons we've invited you on the program in the first place is because that's something that you're, you're quite an advocate for. And that is a difficult one, isn't it? Because, again, we've, we've had the situation where people aren't in the office. It's not easy to get a whole team briefing together. Uh, studying cyber security and GDPR compliance tools and online learning for those isn't something that anybody really wants to volunteer for. They are often very, very dry. Uh, But that awareness is absolutely key. So how do you tackle the question of security training, making that valued as well as valuable and awareness so that people, again, understand it's not just the MD saying or the finance director saying you can't use a BSB key. That's bad. But explaining, you know, actually, we've provided an alternative which we know is secure and this is ensuring that the company is protecting its data assets uh, and ultimately that's protecting you know you as an employee that's protecting your job getting that through to people you know when they don't have that facility to come together in the normal way that we you know we talked about this right at the start of the conversation that that was something we lost during the pandemic yeah i mean just like any technology that you're going to introduce to to your colleagues Getting buy-in is the most important thing. You know, IT 
something that IT leaders and IT managers are, are often guilty of is that they will foresee the need for a technology. They'll go out, they'll tender and, and procure a solution, and then they'll deliver it to people that have got no buy-in and therefore the technology won't be used and people don't understand the value of it. And that is absolutely relevant to security awareness. You know, getting people to understand why we're doing this is is probably the most important thing and get, getting them to understand that it, it is actually really important to, to, to do this. And these are the reasons why, you know, we don't want to be in a position where um, somebody in the accounts team has sent off 300,000 pounds to an illegitimate source. Um, uh, so so no, nobody wants that. Obviously no, no, no employee wants that to happen because um, it, because it's bad for everybody and it's embarrassing and horrible. Um, so, so, you know, if you speak to people in those, terms i think that people are broadly happy to to adopt these kind of practices and what in your experience makes for an effective security awareness campaign particularly for this market particularly for the smaller company well i think uh, simplicity um ease of access so for example one of the the security awareness solutions that we sell that does uh, phishing testing um it's cost-effective costs a few pounds per person per month and it, and it delivers um uh, it delivers uh, phishing testing to, to users and for those that fail it, it then gives them a tailored um three minute video that that uh, educates them on why they failed the phishing awareness training you know and how to look out for the difference between a good email and a bad email uh, and, and i think that's you know People haven't got the time these days to be sitting through two-hour lectures from an IT person telling them, you know, about IT security. You need to deliver small, easy-to-consume, regular content to people. Um, and, and uh, you know, doing it regularly is, is the key thing. So constantly reinforcing the fact that people need to be aware, for me, is the most important thing. So little and often, then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, little and often. So keeping it manageable so it's not interfering with the day-to-day running of the business, that sounds to me to be a key there. Uh, you know, a small thing that people were seeing quite a lot, of, uh, our customers are certainly asking for, is that dropping a little header into the top of emails saying, you know, this email's been received from an external source. Are you sure? You know, just, just check. And little, all little elements like that make a big difference to people's awareness. What about ensuring there's some variety in what you're doing, though? Because, again, people tend to switch off. It's like the signs in the kitchen to clean up the cups. If you see the same thing all the time, you just... You skip over it and move on, don't you? Yeah, well, I think that's why um, uh, tailored content is important. So um, a lot of phishing campaigns are just based around Microsoft 365, for example. So you're constantly receiving things that are um, asking you for your Microsoft 365 password. But um, if you can tailor those um, those tests to an application that's maybe only found in that organization, for example, that... that uh, you know, mixing things up like that and, and making it a little bit more difficult is important because the user will be subconsciously probably aware that that, that application is specific to their organization. And so they won't be expecting to receive 
uh, security awareness training delivered from that application. Um, so, so when you do that, you know, you need to keep, keep people on their toes, basically keep them thinking about it and, and find different ways to do that. Getting them to look at it in the context of the work they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about, though, the question of security skills? And this is a difficult one because, of course, you know, firms come to you because they may not have IT skills in-house or they, they don't find it cost effective to run the size of IT team that maybe their um, dependence on technology requires. But, you know, we're all suffering from a skills shortage and we're going to look at this in some more detail in future episodes of Security Insights as well. But how is that affecting you and how is it more importantly affecting your client base at the moment? Is there a real skills gap? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think broadly, IT skills are improving um, as the younger generation come into the workforce. Uh, so certainly, from a um, from the perspective of being able to use technology effectively and and being open to change as well, I think I think that the, the people that are coming into the workforce now are, are happy to um, adopt new technologies and use technology to make their life easier. I think that's definitely the case. Um, but, but I think it also creates a challenge that, that, that when these young people are coming into workforce, they're far more blasé about what they're prepared to give away. So um, somebody that's perhaps a little older and, and hasn't had IT in their life, um, you know, from an early age, they're, they're a little bit more aware and a, and a, and a little bit um, more cautious about the way they use technology. So, so you know, the, the different generations that are coming into the workforce present different challenges. Um you know, there's, there's certainly younger people are less scared of technology. And so and so that sort of keeps their guard down, uh, uh, whereas the older generation, they're, they're sort of guarded all the time because they hear of these horror stories. And, and I think, think it bothers them more than it does the younger people. So actually, because people are so familiar with consumer technology in their day to day lives, they can carry over poor practices into the workplace. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have multi-factor authentication on your personal email, then why should you have it on your work email when you've never been attacked before on your personal email? So who cares? Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. Exactly. So so just to, to wrap up then, do you think that SMEs need to focus more on security and possibly even invest more in security? Yeah, like I said at the start, I think there is an awareness that that people need to. You know, we still definitely have clients that are reluctant and and have that it's never happened to me before attitude. Um, but but I, I definitely think it's improving. I th I think um, there's an acceptance that you have to spend money on what what we would call the core technologies. You know, people accept now that they must have a firewall and it has to be of reasonable quality. But when you start to talk to them about some of the more advanced features uh, and all those features build up, so you need security awareness training, you must have Office 365 Business Premium, um, uh, you know, we, you've got to use patch management and we have to implement a process. Um, and you, uh, I think one of the biggest things is that small, really small businesses need to start thinking about the implementation of IT policy in their organization. That's quite often overlooked um, because, you know, uh, it's easy for employees to, to make the wrong decisions around browsing the internet or using their email inappropriately. And businesses need to protect themselves from a policy perspective as well. 
Yeah, so it's not necessarily the case that they're being specifically targeted, but it's it's people making an honest mistake. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, Lee Roll from Everything Tech, thank you very much for your time. Very welcome. Thanks for having me. Lee Rawl on how setting the right IT policies is as important as technical measures when it comes to improving security, not least for smaller businesses. But, he says, training and awareness are equally as effective as new investment. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back in two weeks' time when we'll be looking at the skills crisis in cybersecurity. How severe is it and what can be done to address it? We hope you can join us then. Meanwhile, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and of course on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thank you for listening.